0: up next on jbtv
1: hi i'm alexander burke from magnolia Memoir, and we're coming up next on jbtv
2: welcome to the jbtv podcast each and every show is dedicated to great music lovers and on this edition of our jbtv podcast we are featuring a brand new band are you ready the podcast starts right here right now new music now So here we are. This is another great edition of JBTV from the Heart of the Windy City, downtown Chicago. This is an exciting, exciting show. Alexander Burke's in the studio. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing amazing. Like, this is a dream. Plus, first person back. It's like crazy.
2: Wow. And you got your second vaccine, so we're totally safe here. I, the, the video's moving, though. Yes. It's constantly moving. Is that the same shelves each time?
1: It is. We shot that at a hand prop room, which is in Los Angeles. It's one of the top movie prop houses. Uh-huh. Like, you go there, and you're like, oh, there's the amber eggs from Jurassic Park. There's the fan from um, Spaceballs. There's, <laughs> But they have, like, just rows and rows and rows of anything you could think of. Like, they have, like, just a room of ivory because you can't get ivory anymore. They have ivory caves and ivory this, and uh-huh. people rent them for their films. Wow. Um, and we had run of the entire space and Aaron actually, when we walked through the space and they had these just crazy beautiful rooms and we could use anything we wanted. He was like, no, we're just, let's just use these aisles. And I'm like, these are the ugly styles here. Like,
2: yeah, those are like metal shelves, which you can get anywhere
1: <laughs> like that. They're over there. Like there's this whole room of neon. Like, why are we not going to perform in the room with all the neon signs? And he's just like, he's like performances of just a band is boring mm-hmm. he's like and he came up with this whole concept to you know put put the camera on the tracks roll it and then constantly do that and then we called in all of our celebrity contacts and we're like well when can we when can you show up when can you show up when can you show up
2: yeah you had some cool celebrities in there yeah yeah
1: name them well we had fred willard yeah which was amazing uh aaron and Vic, his wife were good friends with um him and I had done some shows with him through Second City as well. So to you know, get that have Fred well in your music video was a blast. And,
2: and who was that one female artist? Uh, she was, Oh, uh, Doris Roberts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: She was in it. Actually, at one point, she lived um, on Aaron, our director's couch. This is like she left. <laughs> she left a mag. This is something that only an 80-year-old woman could do. She left a <laughs> magnifying glass out in her kitchen under a piece of paper, and it wound up starting a fire and burning her kitchen oh. so she <laughs> stayed with them for about three weeks because uh-huh. they're like oh ah, well, you live across the street we have this extra room and it was so much fun we used to drink and watch old western movies with her and her old actor friends and they would just trash talk like she was somehow friends with a lot of guys um who'd been in the westerns back in the 60s and 70s
2: well those were popular back then yeah, yeah. Gunsmoke smoke and all those uh TV series were on then, Rifleman and <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, Way of the Gun and all that stuff. So we, yeah. we used to watch that stuff with Doris for these <laughs> this weird two week period and like these old dudes whose names I cannot remember who were you know bit players in those mm-hmm. shows and mm-hmm. would trash talk all of them.
2: Yeah, I only star I knew I think was John Houseman when he was still around. He worked with Orson Welles. Oh wow! Yeah, he would complain about Orson would like get to a theater or whatever he has to do because he had an ambulance take him there. What? Yeah, like in New York they couldn't cuz of traffic, so he had an ambulance somehow he paid off to go through with the sirens so he'd get there and then he would get pissed at everybody, "Why aren't you on time?" <laughs> well, it was the traffic, well, you know, he had the <laughs> But listening to the old stories of the old Hollywood and everything, it's just it was a whole different time. Again, it's at the beginning of everything, you know. That's when movies were still in their infancy and yeah. now they're like every I'm so sick of of movies that have every special effect you can think of you know yeah it's like i like a movie that tells a story you know and and uh with a good soundtrack and it's not mm-hmm. like predictable with you know 10 million you know effects <laughs>
1: well it's i find that like giving yourself criteria too makes better music better arts better mm-hmm. song like when budget's unlimited it's almost impo- i find it's almost impossible to write music to me i i need the constriction yeah. even though i'm terrible with money. Like I scored a TV, you know, I worked on TV series that paid like a quarter million bucks. And I think I made $800 when all was said and done Yeah, because I am the creative and I don't have anyone stopping me. But you wouldn't change a
2: thing, would you? You wouldn't go back and well, you know, it's not about the money. You know, if it was about the money, I I, I think those are the people that if it's all about the money, it doesn't seem to, you know, their, their creativity is just totally compromised, you know?
1: Well, I had a friend who said, you know, when you die, do you want to leave music or do you want to leave condos? Which I love that because mm-hmm. I was about to buy a condo when he told me that I was like that's a that's a really good point and then I blew it all making a record yeah and the record was not a hit no one ever heard it and I have zero regrets
2: yeah well again something that's not a hit you know at the time may be a hit later on in life so never throw away all those
1: masters you have oh God no never yeah. that's what I love I just did a you know a record by this guy Robert LaSalle um i got to co-mix with robert margoliffe robert margoliffe was uh paratonto if you know that band
2: yeah i i I had never met him or anything but
1: uh. and you know he went on to produce all the stevie wonder hits and superstition living in the city main riperton Mm -hmm. and you know the record just came out and you know not a lot of promotions not doing well at the moment but it's like i have just a hundred percent faith that this record is going to be huge because it's just
2: well, look at Star Trek. That whole TV series was a failure at the beginning. I didn't know that. Yeah. it uh, Nobody really, you know, but after the fact, it's a cult. Everybody, you know, it became successful. It takes time for people to, you know, even with Strangers with Candy, you know, that was, a, you know, you, once you got into it, yeah, <laughs> you know, and then it becomes. That,
1: a, that show is why I moved to Chicago. Yeah. I, I was in high school and I grew up in Orange County, which was um, <clears throat> very, very conservative, um, and that was the kind of humor that was in my head, but I was afraid to ever make jokes or talk like that. But that's how <laughs> I thought. And when I saw Strangers with Candy, I saw the first episode when it premiered and legitimately cried mm-hmm. because I was, it was like other people are out there. This is before the internet was what it was. Right. It's like, there's other people out there who think like me, like this is my kind of humor. and the, This is amazing. And then found out they were all from second city. <laughs> and I'm, and then I was into a lot of Chicago blues and buddy guy and, you know love that stuff so and love the jazz scene here mm-hmm. so between that and find out about von freeman's new apartment lounge and chuck hedges was out here and um dwayne tham and all these amazing like jazz guys and you know john faddis wound up i wound up touring with john faddis um who was uh taught teacher at columbia we got to do italy tour with wow. italy with randy brecker <laughs> so between all of that i moved out here but Strangers with Candy was why I moved to Chicago, finding that all out. It was like I need to be a part of the second city world. I need to find these people. This is yeah. the stuff I love.
2: well, it's the improv they do there. you know it's like they they read the audience and it just sort of happens, you know, and a lot of people when they when they do that, I think the creativity really shows, you know,
1: yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's I love the feeling of free falling. Like, just getting up on there and like, <laughs> I don't know what's about to happen. And this is just going to be absolutely wild and crazy. It
2: just makes you better every time you do something.
1: I was really cruel to Mella when the band started because um, we were playing shows. We got some corporate gigs, playing gigs um, around LA. And I didn't want to deal with learning songs, like learning more songs. So I just told her that um, real vocalists and real singers, um, they actually make up the songs on the spot. That's what they can do, <laughs> and I just like when this whole thing. And I was completely lying. Singers don't do that, uh-huh. but I was also playing with Baby Wants Candy, which was this improv group where we would improvise a forty-five minute, hour-long musical. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that Improv Olympic multiple nights a week. Uh, Second City, we'd be improvising songs. So to me, that was normal. I knew no that's not normal for legitimate singers, but I told her it was. So I would just here's a girl who is a banker who's now playing shows at Largo, and I'm making her. You know, it, as opposed to like, I was really busy. I'm like, I don't have time to learn a cover. So we're opening for Grand League Phillips, doing all this stuff. And Margaret's there and all this. And I'm making her just improvise songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it'll be fine. Here's a groove. Here's this. and <laughs> But now we've become such fast songwriters because of <laughs> because of doing that. It wound up right, being the best right, thing I could have right.
2: done. Now you have another video we should show.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, that's uh, No One Like You.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <clears throat> that was a ballad the Mella wrote in a journal before she met me. Wow. And then um, we tried to write the song a few times and it never quite worked. Um, I don't know what, for whatever reason, just like the chords I was picking, the vibes, the performances, I think we were always doing it maybe to click, which was a mistake. And we wound up doing that again in New Zealand. And it was just, that was just one take. And we just did it naturally vibing off of each other and kind of realize it needs to be more like a dance and not like a, you know, here's the time and it's this pop song time. Uh-huh. It's really fun to experiment with songs so many times and kind of see where it wants to go.
0: No one like you, there is no one, no one who me like you do.
2: Have you ever directed a movie yet?
1: Oh, no would love to It'd be uh-huh. super, super, Could super you
2: direct yourself. Like a lot of times, you know, people are you know, starring in it and
1: I would not want to do that. Yeah. Um, I cannot produce myself. I think I'm an amazing producer, but when I do my own record and I produce myself, I can co-produce with somebody and mm-hmm. I would actually co-direct a movie with somebody because I have some very specific ideas, mm-hmm. but I found that, um, I will spend all day doing 200 takes of the. Th- the first 15 second intro.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and then I get so off narrative. You're so close
2: oh. to it. You have the, you know, it's, it's really difficult. <laughs> and
1: I need to be with somebody who I trust who can say like, Oh, you got that. Or could be better. And then when, but when they say I got it, I feel confident mm-hmm. to move on because the thing that I'm most wealthy in is ideas. I always have ideas. I have ideas for days. So I'm like, well, if it's like this, what well, if it's like this, well, if it's like this, well, if it's like this, that was a skill I learned from second city. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, improvising on stage and acting on stage as well. It's like, you just, you learn how to come up with ideas. Like, I feel like I'm an idea machine. Mm
2: -hmm. Did you ever dream something and then think you already recorded it when you're awake?
1: (laughs) Uh, My girlfriend's in the audience and I was talking with her about meditating. Uh Um, She introduced me to TM and I've been absolutely love it but there have been so many times where i'll meditate and just think i'm in the studio doing a song or doing mm. a, a record and then you know i finished meditating I'm like wait to them wait was i was i remembering something or <laughs> did i actually do that i don't know but for me writing songs or doing studio i feel more like an archaeologist than i do a songwriter half mm. the time like i feel like the song exists and lives in the world and i'm kind of like scratching away the dirt to find out what what the song is.
2: Wow, I just love talking, so I can talk for hours. You know,
1: same. I mean, uh, Chicago's still my favorite city in the world. I
2: mean. Yeah, there's something about this place, especially <clears throat> when you consider all the the cool clubs and everything, and the way everything's mixes together. You know, well,
1: it's also such a music city. Like I would, you know, perform at Second City, and then I would go to Andy's and play there, and then I would finish Andy's, and I go play at the Green Mill, and I think because the there's so many people here who want to get out of their house, who want to enjoy things. It's such an amazing live culture. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I feel like, a lo- for the most part, a low ceiling in Chicago, where in L.A., you could s- be discovered doing a show. And in Chicago, you probably are not going to be. Mm-hmm. So it creates the sense of community, where Chicago's so mu- L.A. is so much more about the soloist. Chicago so much more about the ensemble. Mm-hmm. And as long as you weren't a jerk anyone will let you play with them. And it wasn't like, oh, if you mess up, you'll mess up my one opportunity because this guy might be here. It's like, oh, in with us. Oh, you were terrible, mm-hmm. but you're a nice kid. So here's <laughs> what you did wrong right. and come back next week. And those are the things you can do in Chicago, which is why so many of the greatest actors and musicians and artists come out of Chicago. It's because we can fail here again and again and again. And whenever I teach an acting class or teach music or do a workshop thing, what I'm always telling people is fail. Mm-hmm. Like you have to fail to an audience mm-hmm. and fail in front of audiences again and again and again. And that's how you learn how to do these incredible shows. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I've probably have failed more than anyone in this city at this point, <laughs> but I f- also feel like I'm an incredible performer and I learned how to perform from thousands of hours of failure mm-hmm.
2: of failures. Just like Saturday night live. Is that something you want to be on sometimes,
1: Saturday Night Live? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I actually got to write music for a bunch of their stuff over the years. Oh, really? Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> did you ever see Seven Minutes in Heaven? No. It was a web series that they did where Mike O'Brien interviews famous people in a closet and then makes out with them. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but he, he's had like insane clown posse on, you know, Tina Fey, Kristen Wiig, and wow. um, Paul Rudd. And it's an amazing thing. So I wound up, my band did the theme song for it. And that got us doing a bunch for um, SNL's online content, which is how I wound up getting a party at SNL when I was in New uh-huh. York and all you that stuff. You know, you're so.
2: good enough. You could host the show. You could be the <laughs> musical guest. And he could do a little musical number, which they always do, which they pre-record. Oh, there. yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, that'd be like a dream. But Melon ne- was so mad at me about that theme song because I'm really, like, it was, I'm not the most organized person and I don't miss deadlines, but uh-huh. I will do the deadline at the last possible moment. So I remembered about the show and we, at the time we were neighbors and I, I think two three in the morning was like, Oh shoot. I had to write a theme song. Oh, I want, <laughs> I want to be like 1950s and silly. I need Melo to sing on him. So I'm calling her. And she's not picking up. So I just go up to her house. I start like banging on the door until she answers. <laughs> and I made her like, get out of bed and come next door to sing. And she's like, fuck. She was so annoyed with me. She's like, fine, I'll just do this once. It's like, but da, and sing the theme song. And, essentially improvised it uh-huh. i get i gave them multiple song, multiple versions um and the version that we wound up going with was a thing that i think she just improvised while being kind of annoyed at me and then it wound up being the theme song <laughs> <laughs> i remember being like can i go home now i'm so tired i have to be up at 6 a.m <laughs> for for some weird reason voiceover is often at 7 or 8 a.m and you know actors have to wake up at six o'clock Because you have to have your voice warmed up and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I remember her being annoyed with me, but then loving to tell the story. Early
2: morning stuff. Wow.
1: (laughs) I know. That's not
2: me. (laughs) Me either. I'm afternoon, evening. Yeah, same. (laughs) The best time, I guess, even for you is probably late night when you do your music, right?
1: I like the extremes. Yeah. Uh, I will will gravitate towards late night, but my phone never stops ringing. Mm. Uh, I think I have like 70 texts I haven't looked at and like over... Twenty thousand emails. I should check my phone. It's like uh, an absurd number. (laughs) I have, I have one hundred six unread texts, one hundred twenty-one thousand six hundred eighty-three unread emails, seven unread things on Instagram, and do
2: you realize how many offers of movies you've been uh, avoiding that you didn't know about? (laughs) There was a ten million dollar deal with Spielberg. That you. (laughs) I mean, it's also
1: why I'm so happy. I have an agent or manager. Look at this stuff. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot always – I feel bad. My friends drive them crazy. If I don't uh-huh. respond in five minutes, I will forget to respond.
2: Yeah, now tell us about Jason Dragon. How did you meet up with him?
1: Oh, God. Jason's the greatest human ever. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> I almost, when it comes to management, have severe PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, our, The first manager, of Magnolia, um, embezzled the money. We went to New York to do, um, to do some shows and she has flight in New York. And we're like, where are we staying? She's like, that's your problem. And then she went off to stay at the Marriott. Um, just a horrible person. And then um, we just had so many bad mishaps and then my second manager that i had for a brief moment got me fired from snl because i did the music for not fired uh everything's a work for hire but i'm still close friends with him um i did the music for mike o'brien's comedy record mm-hmm. mike's actually the guy who got me hired along with brad Morrison, and shelly gossman who got me hired to his second city and then he got me to do stuff for snl's digital stuff online never on the series but on the internet um and he did an amazing comedy record like it's called tasty radio and is one of the funniest things ever. I did all the music and I signed with this new manager and he waited till to negotiate money until the day before it was supposed to come out. And then went to, you know, the powers that being asked for like $75,000, oh. which is absolutely bonkers insane. And of course the Broadway video people never called me after that. I had to immediately fire him and he came attacking them. Not like, Oh, let's work this out. I was like, pay my client this amount like strong arming them right before the record came out and I had to call Michael I'm like, hey I'm really sorry. I fired this guy you can have the music for free <laughs> as an apology for that I'm sure heart attack you just have. I'm very 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 sorry and Mike's like a really close friend like I still feel terrible about that. So I didn't have managers for a long time uh, just acting agents mm. because I had such PTSD. And I meet Jason Dragon through Ozo Motley, if you know that band.
2: Yes, we've had him on the show. Just an interview. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: Will Dog, the bass player, is a good buddy of mine. Uh, and I sat in with Ozo before. And um, <clears throat> he hit me up. He's like, hey, we're doing this composer breakfast thing where on Thursdays in, in um, Silver Lake, we're going to just bunch of film composers are going to have breakfast together. And just like, it's almost like group therapy for film composing because mm-hmm. it's It's a crazy industry. It is absolutely bonkers and insane. And uh, him and Jason are very good friends and wound up sitting next to Jason and immediately started making Carl Young jokes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then talking about, I think, Gary Newman and just all kinds of stuff. And wound up talking for hours and hours and found out he's this amazing manager and became really good friends and probably knew him for about a year and... I was struggling at the time. You know, there's always ebbs and flows in any industry. And I've had years where I feel like I'm king of the world and other years, you know, where you feel like, does anyone know who I am anymore? And well, if you'd answer your (laughs) hundred (laughs) thousand. Yeah, true. And, uh, I was asking Jason for help and I was asking him if he would negotiate something for me. I gave him 5% and I'd recommended multiple people to be managed by him. And at one point he was like, why don't, you ever ask me to manage you? I'm like, I'm not big enough for you. And he's like, well, yeah, of course you're not going to be big enough unless I manage you. Wow. And, and that's how it started. And we didn't, you know, we figured out a percentage. I told him that the only thing in the contract I asked for is if either of us fi- ever wants to fire the other person, uh, we have to do through singing telegram
0: mm.
1: and, <laughs> you know, nice way to handle that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he is, one of the kindest, most amazing people ever. Like when the pandemic started, mm-hmm. I had essentially blown my whole savings because I had scored a, a mortified guide, which is this great um, Netflix series. And I would ran this children's book and had, I wrote a song in like the Sharon Stone film and a lot of things. So I had blown all my money doing um, hiring a publicist, doing a press junkets, doing the tours. And what nobody ever tells you is you have to pay for all that yourself. Uh, you have to, not only are you not working, you're paying, you know, thousands a month on a publicist, and if your film's premiering at Sundance or South by, you have to be there, but that costs thousands of dollars. So I, the pandemic started, and I had three hundred dollars in my bank account, and I wasn't worried at the time because I booked these two huge films that would pay my rent for the next year and a half, and mm-hmm. they both get canceled. I have three hundred dollars oh. in my account. I was like, okay, <laughs> well shoot. And Jason's an amazing human. He stopped taking the percentage for a minute. He went out of his way to find me work. Like, I feel like I would have had to move back in with my mom if it wasn't for him. Wow. Like he is one of the sweetest and kindest humans like I've ever met in my life.
2: Yeah. Cause I, I, I haven't met him or anything, but we sort of met, didn't we? Through, (laughs) through that breakfast thing I was on. Oh yeah.
1: So he manages Richard Gibbs as well. And so essentially Richard had the composer breakfast in Malibu. Uh-huh. Um, and it was this beautiful breakfast at the Soho house up there. And he always had like great speakers, like, you know, Dweezil Zappa.
2: Um, Amit and uh, we've, yeah, we've had both of them on.
1: I love those guys. I played.
2: In fact, I found uh, Frank Zappa, some VHS that of uh, Really? Yeah. I hear VHS is coming back and it's it's worth something now. <laughs> I feel like everything old is
1: new again at some point.
2: It was a baby animals. That was it. Wow. Yeah.
1: God, such a Zappa fan.
2: Oh, we used to play his stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, on JBTV. And he was like, so excited about that. He says, you're like the only show in America. Really? That's playing my videos. You know,
1: <laughs> I was listening to weird Al Yankovic when I was like in fifth grade or something. Mm-hmm. And the electrician at the house came in my room, which scared me because my doors closed and just like, first the door open <laughs> he's like don't listen to this listen to frank zappa and i'm like okay okay and then the next day i told my dad i'm like i'm supposed to get frank zappa and he got so excited and balmy were only in it for the money yeah and it was hooked on him ever since
2: yeah we played, and they, the little videos and stuff he did was so unique you know and uh stop motion he just you know everything was cutting edge at the time oh so, yeah yeah
1: i'd be so i loved his When he was going against the parental advisory against Tipper Gore.
2: Yeah, he actually testified. I got that on on video here somewhere.
1: Yeah, I remember he said, you know, what you're trying to do would be like beheading someone to cure dandruff. Mm -hmm. which. And
2: then he talked about t-shirts. Remember that too? You know, are you in, because you got something on your t-shirt, you know, it was like, yeah, are you going to ban that? Are you going to, you know, that that whole censorship thing he was against. Yeah, he was
1: amazing with that stuff.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, today's a very special day for you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's your birthday. It is, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
1: Oh, thanks. It felt like, uh, yeah, I just kind of felt like what, Better ways for my birthday than be here. (laughs) Uh
2: huh. Well, this is awesome. I'm so so happy that you're here on JBTV, and uh, you've had a little experience what we do with JBTV. Yeah, uh, more than a little. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You know, I can't wait to actually get your band when we get our studio back again.
1: Oh, we will be here in a heartbeat.
2: Yeah, and do a nice performance to a small group and everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: As soon as we can do that, we will be there. Yeah. By the way, it's so hard not to ask you questions because I keep seeing more and more and more pictures of you like with flaming lips or.
2: Oh yeah. Wayne would come by quite a few times and uh, another great, they just stopped by one day and he brought in like a hundred thousand lights.
0: <laughs> really?
2: <laughs> yeah. Like those little Christmas lights and stuff. And oh he, yeah. He did a whole pile. He did Mary Jane and uh, you know, all those different songs. So, so anyhow, this is a very special part. It's your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> they do. You. you come on in. They do you. Happy birthday! <laughs> you. Uh-huh. Happy birthday. <laughs> Blow it into that camera there, that one right there. Bend down. There you go. There you go. Oh, thanks. I oh, hope wow. you made
1: a good wish. I did. <laughs> oh man! Thank you guys. <laughs> Like I feel like I want to interview you. Like seeing all this background stuff, there's like so many questions I have about different artists. Kenny Del
2: Rey with uh, Chris Isaac. Wow. You know, there's a show that uh, we we taped, uh, and literally he um, he had a gold suit, you know. And before before the show, he didn't even show up. It's like no sound check. Everybody's like, "Where is he?" Well, Chris will show up, and uh, and it's like one minute before the show, he comes running in from the actual front entrance of the venue through the audience (laughs) and jumps up on stage and just boom, he was right there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He was like, you know, messing around or something. (laughs)
1: That's so funny.
2: (laughs) But uh, yes, that was, you know, then Shonen Knife, they were uh, at the beginning. Um, uh, Sean uh, Lennon met uh, one of the girls in Shonen Knife at that interview. Oh, wow. And then Sean came on JBTV after that too, you know.
1: So. yeah um yeah we opened for her and i cannot remember her name i was i was in save ferris for four years oh uh, yeah if you remember that skull band yeah it's funny because seeing real big fish and all them we didn't tour with real big fish we did um mighty mighty boston's was a crazy
2: tour oh yeah yeah
1: Those guys are so...
2: Yeah, we just had them as an interview, not a performance. Oh, really? So many things. You know, at the early, when I started JBTV, it was all about music videos. Yeah. And uh, then I sort of morphed into, oh, we have to do, like, you know, interviews. And I'm going, well, I'm not, you know, first I started doing interviews documentary style. Yeah. But I hated that. So I ended up, you know, well, I'm going to, like, do it. And then I wasn't even going to do JBTV. It was going to be somebody else doing it, mm-hmm. my partner Joe Kelly. But it was like everything had to be planned, and it took forever to get anything done. And I'm going. I'm just doing this. This is, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't go through all this stuff, and because I was a I'm a production guy. I'm not much of a you know the on air stuff was more later in my career. You know, wow. Whatever career I have, I've only done one thing, JBTV. So <laughs> I feel
1: like my entire career, all I do is improvise. Yeah. <clears throat> And whether it's like writing music, writing a book, writing, acting on stage, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like free falling and being creative. <laughs> and like, as long as it's storytelling, it almost doesn't matter to me what it is because the more you study, the structure is all the same. Mm-hmm. Like if it's sonata form or if it's, you know, Yiddish vaudeville, which is where so many sitcoms come from, which is Schmuck puts Rabbi Princess, uh, Four Person Structure. Uh, that's will and grace golden girls um seinfeld Ah. but like you start to learn like all these structures and how similar they all are to each other and it just becomes about storytelling arcs it's like doing yoga there's like an arc to a great yoga class Mm -hmm. and it's you almost feel like you're being told or doing a story in that yoga class as silly as that sounds and it feels the exact same to writing a song or doing a score it's like you know just a slightly different medium
2: yeah yeah Awesome. So are you going to make some more videos? Oh God. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I want them now, you know, whenever you get them done. Yeah. I need, it was actually funny because it took us so long to find those videos. Um, <clears throat> we have more recent videos, but those are my two favorite. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're also my two favorite songs that we've. What other videos
2: you have? I want to play all your stuff.
1: Oh God. We have the Oz and, or the broken cup video, the one Margaret Cho directed and uh-huh. starred in. Uh, we have one for this song afterlife, which is our most recent record then Mel wrote after her car crash that almost killed her where she wasn't breathing for a while and oh. kind of had this moment where she thought she was going. And that's what brings this, what the song's about. Um, a lot of it is about the, there's that famous plane crash in the Potomac where the guy was saving all those people. It was on the news. And right before it came for him, he passed away from the cold. Oh, um, it was in hypothermia. Yeah. it was, and it it happened live and we somehow wound up watching that video um happened in 85 86 i don't know if you remember that oh but that's that song is actually or that moment's actually referenced in the song wow and chris constable who's one of our best friends who's an amazing engineer is referenced <laughs> in the song we kind of somehow like took as many references from our like life and things that were meaningful to us it's kind of fun to start getting more specific like what i've learned about songwriting and art is it's all about it's more about specificity that people confuse um, complexity with detail mm-hmm. and being very specific being very detailed that's what brings people in if, if it's why so many action movies don't actually move us It's like explosions are fun for the moment but we actually forget anything else but like yeah if you really earn that explosion <laughs> and if you're really detailed like this a cake exploding could be more exciting than a 10 million dollar explosion if you get people to really care and invest in the cake uh, and just blowing it up can make someone cry
2: yeah, yeah yeah and
1: that's the fun thing about storytelling and like getting those details it's like you know talking about Grant or talking about radiohead and those like very specific moments is what we relate to as opposed to like, it was a great concert. They were really loud. (laughs) You know, hearing the thing about creep is so cool. And the fact that he didn't want to do that song. And I didn't know it was about his stepdad.
2: Yeah. I think that's because he was a drunk. and You know, he even says it in the front of the song. He says a drunk that's so fucked up, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is a song about a drunk. A drunk who, someone, who followed someone around for a long time because,
1: uh, well, he was quite fucked up. The song's called Creep.
2: That shows you how the songs sometimes that you hate become a hit. Yeah, but you got to still perform it because you know people have memories from it, experiences. It's just a, it's a, it's a capsule of their life, you know.
1: So the best, so the thing that really changed me, got me, get away from being this pretentious jazz person, and jazz. God bless them. Jazz fans are the worst. I can say this having been one, <laughs> the ones who are like, unless you're playing the same voice as McCoy Tyner did when you play Love Supreme, I hate you. uh uh-huh. Um. So I auditioned for Billy Ray Cyrus's band and Brandon who uh, produced my band's record and stuff, He was MD at the time. And I played um, achy Breaky," which is, you know, two chords. And he's like, you're a genius musician. I'm like, thanks. He's like, can you play again? Like, you don't think the song's a piece of shit. I was like, Oh, Oh, you can <laughs> hear that in my plane. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And it changed the way I thought about music. I learned that like, there's, even the most simple song you can create so much intense complexity to. And that just playing the same piano part for five minutes and never speeding up or slowing down, having the exact same attack, but having your re- release be slightly different, depending if you're on the verse, pre-chorus, second chorus, that there's the detail can make that song as complex as playing giant steps. Mm-hmm. And that's that was this amazing, amazing learning experience and also seeing... I never got sick of playing achy breaky. Like I was more sick of Icky breaky before I ever played it. And then once I played it with them, I never want, I never want to go a day without playing that song again, <laughs> because to see like a hundred thousand people start screaming to play, you know, halftime in NASCAR and see people like start crying. when you just start playing those chords.
2: Well, it's the fabric of their life. These, they grew up with these songs and it's, there so many relationships are made and broken and everything around music. It and means there, something.
1: And there's songs that I hate that then I'll hear during like a really beautiful moment of my life. And then suddenly that song has that connotation. And the song that I used to hate is now the most special thing in the world to me. <laughs> um, and uh, it's holding for siren. Or? Yeah.
2: Sirens. It's, uh, but you know, with these shotgun mics. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. I got I, I tell you, I, I've taken these mics. Well, I'll go on with your story. I'll, I'll, I'll.
1: Oh, um, I totally forgot. Oh yeah. But it's like, I don't think that I, I think when I was younger, I would definitely dislike songs or be like, if this song ever becomes big, like there's a couple (laughs) Magnolia songs, which I didn't like the direction they went in. And I would never want to play them even if people ask. And now I look back, I'm like, I was an asshole for thinking that, Mm -hmm. um, The only thing we possess is time. That's the only thing that we have that's irreplaceable. When I'm paid for something, I'm paid for my time, which I can never have back again. So if someone chooses to spend time with you, there should be such a reverence for that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a reverence for that, you shouldn't be there. Um, And that's whether it's a relationship, whether you're on stage, like the fact someone wants to spend this time with you, they'll never get back and vice versa. There should be so much reverence. So, if someone has taken time out of their life and life just keeps getting more difficult and more complex and spend money, which is getting harder to get these
2: days
1: (laughs) to come see me um, either as an artist or with whomever do any song, I'm so happy to oblige because the fact that they're even there is so special. And if I can do something to make it even 5% more special, that probably means more to me than it does to them.
2: Wow. Well, Thank you for spending the time here. Yeah. This of course, has been <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Especially with all those hundred thousand emails and ten thousand uh texts and everything you haven't looked at and to spend a little time here at JBTV. My first interview right here in my home. <laughs> oh, it's
1: it's really an honor to be here. Like I've lived in Chicago for years and used to watch. So
2: wow, wow. Well, I set this up. This is the first time. Usually I'm over here, but I said, I gotta, how am I gonna make this look good? And feel right, you know, and everything. I don't even like doing sit down interviews and yeah. it's been fun. So, you know, I
1: love this. And as soon as you can have live music again, Oh yeah. Mel and I will fly out here in a heartbeat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got the keyboard here. No. <laughs> oh, I,
1: oh, that's perfect.
2: Yeah. I, I, like I, I don't have a clue how to play it, but
1: <laughs> it's just type in rhythm.
2: Yeah. No, this is literally, this has been on all the live shows. We've, uh, it was like, whenever they didn't have a keyboard, they would use this, you know? So 21 pilots and all these different bands and everything. And, uh, you know, Wow. Music. Yeah, the it's, final frontier. That's
1: oh, the greatest.
2: <laughs> so I can't wait to see whatever you come up with in your next uh, phase of whatever you're doing and whatever movies you're working on. Well, and- Sound
1: of Violence will be in movie theaters May 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a crazy horror thriller. Uh, it's about a woman who murders people. Oh, really? She gets synesthesia from it, Ooh. and she uses the sounds of the, uh, of the murder in the music wow and it was so much fun and i got to because the music is so sound designy but classical but dancey i wound up co-composing with two other people um and it wound up just being uh omar and uh Yako. and it wound up just being this like it almost felt like a band where we were using the sound design as part of the music and it was so much fun wow and i don't want to say more because i think it has some of the most unique kills since the saw franchise uh-huh. and then uh, the
2: music gets really soft and then it like boom right <laughs> yeah
1: like i got to do things where if i yeah alex neuer wrote an amazing script where if i was an audience member i'd be angry i wasn't composing the music for this. Uh-huh. like wow it'd be so much fun but it was probably funny with my girlfriend because like she'd come over and i was just would be watching death scenes from horror films for like months and months and months to try to get ideas of uh-huh. like uh-huh. what hasn't been done how's this what timing how's this like right, right. and discovering like little things because what I, what I the craziest thing i discovered is horror and comedy are almost the same yeah in terms of their structure um it's just you know does someone get stabbed in the heart or fart but in terms of the misdirection and playing with the audiences expectation having done most of my life uh, primarily comedy seeing that horror is almost the same it's just a, it's a different lens but it's still um <clears throat> It's still kind of almost the same emotions. Presumably, he's not torture porn. Yeah. Um, but when, that, you,
2: when you said that getting stabbed in a heart and fart, it's like, I was thinking of the uh, Monty Python with the fat guys eating the oh, last <laughs> and It goes, boom,
1: you know, <laughs> Oh God, that was so good.
2: <laughs> So, uh, wow. See, movies, it just means so much. You are just so inspirational. And uh, so are you. (laughs) Well, it's been fun. I've had a great time talking to you here. And uh, you got to come back. I can't wait to do more Uh, with you. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's been a great edition of JBTV. I'm glad you had a good time. So, to next time, it's Jerry Bryant from the Windy City saying bye bye, stay high. And, but of course, keep on rocking and rolling with the best music, the best artists, and are always right here on JBTV. There you go, the JBTV Podcast, where we bring you the best music, the best interviews, and it's all unscripted and totally unrehearsed. Follow us on all the social media and spread the word. This is JBTV Music Television, the JBTV
0: Podcast. JBTV. Unlock big savings during the Menards bag sale. Add style and security with Schlag lock sets. Menards carries over 50 styles of interior and exterior lock sets. And with Schlag's wide selection of smart locks and keyless entry locks, there's no more hiding keys under the doormat or losing track of copies. Save big money on Schlage lock sets. Plus, save 15% when you fit it in the bag. Now through January 14th, available in-store only at Menards.
1: Save big money at Menards.